From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. As project director for Minneapolis-based Prosperity's Front Door, Judy Johnson is part of an organization that sees housing through the lens of social justice, economic stability, and community. The organization, a network of business, community, government, and nonprofit leaders, promotes affordable and workforce housing, and supports people who face homelessness, evictions and foreclosure, among other goals. In her role with Prosperity's Front Door, Johnson draws on a wealth of public sector experience. She previously worked the gavel as mayor of Plymouth, and is a current member of the Metropolitan Council. Her resume also includes roles with Greater MSP and the Twin West Chamber of Commerce. In the following interview, Johnson talks about her organization and the challenges of creating a housing system that works for everybody. And she explains why housing stability is more important than ever amid a global pandemic. I'm pleased to be joined by um, Judy Johnson, um, Project Director for Prosperity's Front Door, is that correct? That's right. And uh, former mayor of Plymouth, Minnesota and uh, a member of the Metropolitan Council. And, um, and and many other things on your resume that I could probably list, but uh, don't have time right now to go through the whole thing. But um, I, I know you're I know you're uh, very well versed in um, issues related to housing. And one thing I wanted to talk to you a little bit about today was just the idea of um, workforce housing and what the needs are here in in the Twin Cities and, and beyond. So um, I guess. Um, if you wouldn't mind, could you just start maybe by talking a little bit about just, I guess, defining the need and um, talking about workforce housing compared to, um, I guess, affordable housing and, and how that uh, is different? You bet. You know, um, kind of to just uh, level set, um, you know, how I got involved through Prosperity's Front Door and as it relates to uh, workforce housing and housing for all. Um, you know, Prosperity's Front Door is really an extension of the work that the Governor's Task Force on Housing did a couple of years ago, and they released their report that has six housing goals and about 30 recommendations. And with that, uh, the group uh, wanted to ensure that there was another uh, body of work that would help track that and promote those goals. And part of my responsibility being the project director um, is to help expand the base and understanding of of the issues that we are facing around housing and while we have a lot of uh you know wonderful um activists and stakeholders that are working so hard each and every day in the housing community there's a whole bunch of other people around the state that really don't understand that connection and how it relates to you know all of the sectors in our economy um you know people's future prosperity economic and social justice Um, So, you know, that's the space that I'm working in. So uh, for me, it's a great opportunity to 
you know, maybe help connect the dots for people and, you know, help people to understand that it's really so foundational to, you know, everything that I think we, we want for our state um, and, and our economic competitiveness going forward. You know, your question's really a good one. Um, you know, having been in local government for over 20 years, um, having been a housing advocate for that length of time as well, um, there's a lot of definitions around housing. So affordable housing uh, and workforce housing are very interchangeable. Uh, and I would say this about affordable housing as I've come to appreciate it over the years. You know, as people, it's very rare that we are born and die in the same home um, and, and live that entire uh, span of our lifetime in, in, a, in the same uh, you know, housing unit. So really when we talk about affordable housing, it's really about ensuring that our state has an ample supply of all types of housing across um, you know, all regions and parts of Minnesota to ensure that uh, you know, first-time home buyers, frontline workers, uh, people that are moving up through their career and looking to expand their household, um, people that uh, you know, want different options, whether it be a rural life, a suburban life, a metro life, whatever it might be. Uh, for people that are more affluent, uh, you know, we're very blessed in Minnesota to have all these corporate headquarters and Fortune 500s and a robust economy here, pre-COVID certainly. Um, and we've, we've been tested through the Great Recession, but having housing for all of those people that are part of our economy is essential. When we talk about workforce housing, we're really thinking about the people that are, you know, part of that economic engine that drives our state's economy. And without ensuring that we've got an adequate supply of all types of housing uh, available and ready to people, um, we start to jeopardize, uh, you know, some of those fundamentals for uh, community prosperity, our state's economic competitiveness, and then certainly individual household prosperity. So, you know, um, workforce housing tends to track very well with affordable housing, but, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, who is that? And in my years of service, you know, it's your teacher, it's your firefighter, it's the person who makes your coffee every day that you appreciate so much so that you can get going and get something accomplished in your day. It's people that are new to our community, that are setting up uh, roots in our community, just like the people before you know, my family, uh, I, you know, I had ancestors that moved here and, and, um, you know, new, new community members, um, longtime community members. Um, and, and it really also encompasses, you know, people that are at the end of, you know, their professional career and trying to downsize and manage a, a more limited budget. Um, but it, it really does, again, uh, speak to the importance of housing for all people, um, because you know, a good number of people are working two, three, and four jobs uh, just to make ends meet. And um, certainly within the converging crisis we're facing right now, um, it's becoming more and more difficult. And that needs to be paid attention to because uh, it's important for economic recovery, but there's all kinds of other components um, that are really important to the people of the state of Minnesota. Yeah, and uh, it, this has been a challenge for a long time, but uh, especially now during the, the pandemic and the economic downturn, um, this is really uh, even even more so than ever. I, I assume uh, a, a great challenge for for our uh, for our society, right? Absolutely. So. Um, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, according to Minnesota Housing Partnerships uh, 2019 State of Housing Report, 
Over one in four families across the state were housing cost burden. That's over a half a million people that are paying well over 30% of their income. So, you know, housing costs have to compete with food and uh, student loans and, you know, health care needs and just essential things that, you know, people need to survive each and every day. And um, additionally, you know, we never really fully recovered from the Great Recession. So we have a significant housing shortage, um, you know, that our state was facing pre-COVID and pre-racial injustice. And, you know, while we were making some progress on that, you know, our goal is to really, over the next 10 years, produce 300,000 more new units across the state, about 50,000 more a year. And that's a steep challenge. Uh, you know, again, uh, we just didn't rebound in other ways that the economy did coming out of the Great Recession. So what we have is a housing shortage of all types, but when you really um, put the pressure on uh, people who are making 80% or 60% or 30% uh, of the area median income, and those, those are working people, um, you know, the availability of housing options for them is, is uh, very much compressed and uh, then with job loss and income loss, uh, you see people that are teetering on, on great housing instability, uh, eviction, foreclosure, and uh, then that, that really um, positions our economy and our workforce to be teetering on a brink of, um, you know, can we come back from this? So we're fortunate in that the state um, through unemployment uh, benefits and through the CARES Act, the governor, allotted $100 million recently for CARES Act funding for that, um, for those households that are struggling with rent, needing rent assistance or mortgage assistance. Um, and certainly with the recent uh, CDC moratorium for evictions for renters that'll go through the end of the year, um, you know, that helps, but it's not the permanent solution. And what we're trying to promote in our work through our stakeholders is to, you know, find sustainable solutions view housing as essential infrastructure and how can we help the private market um, meet the demand but also just recognize that it, it, it's going to take uh, public investment increased public investment and in nonprofits in the private sector stepping up and that's happening well yeah and i think one thing that sometimes gets lost in these conversations is that when when renters get relief to uh, avoid being evicted that that helps the, the building owners as well to um make their pay their mortgages and so on correct absolutely and you know um of the six goals and i can go over them in a minute but you know preserving the affordable homes we have so those uh, apartment units those developments that are out there that are providing really great opportunities for affordable um housing we want to we want to keep all of all of that system secure and, and keep those payments coming so it helps to stabilize but we haven't figured out the permanent solution and and i know we're working towards building back our economy but it's not going back it's going forward to the new economy and thinking differently um, about how we're going to weave in uh, ensuring all people have access to jobs all people have access to housing um, and you know through through the converging crises of covid and then, uh, you know, racial injustice and racism that's woven into many of our systems, um, and certainly the housing system included, uh, you know, when 50% of black workers are filing for unemployment, uh, alarm bells should be going off. Uh, when black, indigenous, and, and 
people of color are disproportionately impacted by these crises um, in, in, um, you know, and, and it's all being exacerbated by, by the challenges we're facing. Uh, we need to really be concerned about that so that we, as we move through economic recovery, we really look at equity and we really work at building a new system, new systems that work for all people. And when it comes to economic competitiveness, well, first of all, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, I, I would say housing justice is, is racial justice, is social justice. It's all woven together. You know, unfortunately, Minnesota uh, ranks so poorly when it comes to disparities around home ownership with BIPOC um, households, education gaps, um, again, with minority communities, um, we're at the bottom of the list. Um, and that translates into suppressed economic um, opportunity and, and, and opportunity for prosperity and, gen and generational wealth building. So, you know, we believe and we know that housing is foundational to all of that. You don't have um, good health, well-being, security, opportunity um, for you and anybody else in your household unless you have housing stability. So it really does go back to the idea of, you know, greater competitiveness um, you know, for our metro region and regions across the state, because this is an issue facing every part of Minnesota. Greater Minnesota is impacted um, hugely by this. Uh, you've got communities where uh, businesses are trying to expand. Uh, they have a shortage of workers. Um, the, the economies are such that if you try to build new housing for people, uh, the cost to build the home ends up being higher than the actual valuation at the end of the day and financing becomes nearly impossible. Ensuring again that we, we try to protect and preserve the affordable housing we have and naturally occurring affordable housing, I might add. Um, and that's where business leaders and communities have really had to come together and think, you know, very strategically in innovative ways um, because it, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, saving Minnesota's um, communities across the state and ensuring that uh, workers can be attracted uh, to live in those communities. And the same goes for the metro area. So, you know, it, it's just something that um, has to be has to be placed as a priority um, and has to be part of of the foundation of, of of moving forward and not seen as something that's a nice to have or it takes care of itself or it's that siloed thing. Um, you know, the business community, you know, really needs to start to recognize, you know, what issues are the workers having within their organizations that are, are causing instability? Yeah, I've heard many times from employers throughout the state, and as you mentioned, in greater Minnesota as well, uh, that's certainly part of that, that they're, they, they need workers, but they also need a place for the workers to live and a place that the worker can afford too. So it really does have an impact throughout the economy, I, I, I'm sure. Um, and what, what are some of the other solutions that we can look at? I mean, one thing would be, uh, what about the impact of, of a bonding bill? I know this is supposed to be a bonding year and we haven't had a bonding bill passed yet. Um, what, uh, how, how helpful would that be to get some of the, get some of that, uh, those resources into the, into the system? Well, it's extremely important. Uh, we do rely on bonding um, in bonding years and sometimes there's been bonding in non-bonding years, um, but that's the money that would be available next year to be um, 
you know, let out through Minnesota housing through a competitive process request for proposal process with a lot of scoring and things going on. Cause there's always an oversubscribed uh, need, right? So um, whatever we put in, whatever we put in is going to be put out uh, in short order to really important projects across the state um, that can fill, uh, you know, the need for our lowest income housing needs uh, can uh, mixed uh, income housing projects, uh, senior housing projects, uh, addressing our homelessness problem across the state, um, which, you know, again, uh, with COVID and, and our economic crisis now, I mean, when people, when working people, and we know this because it, it, it's already happening, has been happening across the state, not just in metro and suburbs, but in every part of the state, regional centers, small communities, when, when uh, economic stability um, increases, so does homelessness. And I think we've probably all heard where, you know, families have kids, they're trying to keep them in schools. Um, they're living household to household if they're staying with relatives or sometimes they're living out of their cars. And the governor um, is very committed to ending homelessness in the state. He put out his um, ending uh, homelessness is, you know, uh, initiative last winter because, you know, with, with the harsh climates we have, uh, you know, it's unbearable. And, you know, for me serving on the Met Council, we know that homeless people are trying to survive and they show up in all kinds of places trying to, to stay out of the cold and, and shelter uh, in, in buses and trains and wherever they can. But the need is always greater than the resources. And we've seen that this summer. Um, you know, again, great innovation and great partnerships have been forged uh, to deal with um, the concerns, um, keeping our, our homeless neighbors safe because now they're at risk of, you know, getting COVID. And, you know, that spreads then into overall community well-being. So we believe that, you know, housing equals health and health equals housing and well-being. So that money is critically important. and. While we are facing economic instability, you know, right now bond rates are extremely low. I mean, it's just uh, historically low. So when we think about the future needs, they're not going to um, go away. They are rising. They will continue to rise until we find out, uh, you know, how to address this in a more comprehensive way with many solutions brought to the table. Um, but but housing and passing a bonding bill is it extremely important. If we if we don't get that done, it just pushes pushes um, the problem further off, and it 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 doesn't change the fact that people are are going to be struggling immensely um, without the resources in the future. From from the perspective of a former mayor of a large uh, Twin City suburb, what what role can local governments play? Um, in these efforts? You know, I really um, subscribe to the belief that, you know, local governments have great ability to see things happen. Even in my Met Council role, you know, we work to accept the um, comprehensive plans. That's the guiding and zoning that overlays a community and, and how they map it out and plan it out. But it's really the local local authorities, those elected officials that will help to implement uh, their goals. So first of all comes goal setting is, is uh, you know, housing uh, a priority in your community and for who and for, uh, you know, what income levels. Um, there are goals that the Met Council has um, put together certainly to meet the needs, uh, not only now, but as we forecast population growth and needs in the future. 
So as a local elected official, you know, I um, was just a big believer that, you know, we have to have housing for all people in all circumstances, because many people are just a paycheck or one health issue away from having, uh, you know, the rug pulled out from under them and, and falling into great insecurity. So, you know, it just starts with finding the partners, finding the developers, getting that guiding and zoning in place, putting your tools together um, and, and pushing hard uh, with the community ar around proposed developments, whether it be adjacent neighborhoods, um, the faith community, nonprofits, and, and building an understanding of, you know, who, who can we be serving in neighborhoods that are um, more diverse as far as uh, mixed incomes or focusing on those with greatest needs um, so that they have the same access to schools and parks and, and uh, you know, the amenities that maybe so, so many of the rest of us take for granted. So um, I believe that most local officials are really doing heroic efforts. Um, you can see it each and every day in the work that's been taking place over many years, but certainly in the crises that we're facing now, new partnerships have been forged, um, but there's much more work to do. And quite honestly, the funding gaps that exist, even for projects, developments, good neighborhoods that have been approved that will meet some of those affordability goals or help achieve some of those goals, there's still gap funding that, that is, it, there are, it's a pipeline. And that's why back to your earlier question about bonding, there are projects waiting that have already been approved and the community is ready to you know, do a ribbon cutting one of these days and yet they're held up. And when projects get held up, um, costs don't usually go down either. So um, it just, it makes a tough struggle, but it really does start with uh, local communities embracing you know, homes for all and um and working their tails off to see that it happens and i'm i'm really proud of local communities um it's tough not all of it comes to fruition because sometimes you feel like you're on life support trying to get those developments approved and they don't all make it but um you know it's it's i think there's a deep understanding of 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 what we're up against and um i appreciate the work yeah, and I, unfortunately, I think there is a stigma associated with some uh, some of this type of housing, and and um, the the NIMBY factor comes in. And I mean, I personally try to impart to my children when I see a new uh, multifamily development or low-income housing under construction in my community that, hey, great, we're getting some new neighbors. Uh, this is wonderful. And I just think, how do you how do you turn that around and I guess is it just about education like you said before we're talking about teachers and and retail workers and and police officers and, and you know just looking to move in and, and find a place that they can afford so um and I think that's part of it you know there is a stigma there is the not in my backyard syndrome the nimbyism as we like to call it I guess um, but when you're talking about 80% of AMI, I mean, that's still a pretty decent wage, especially for even people coming out of college with a four-year degree. I mean, they've got a, a lot of them have that heavy student loan uh, debt. And, you know, again, they become housing cost burdened, even though on paper, they could probably get into, uh, you know, a, a unit that's market rate, if, especially if they're, you know, um, sharing or, or have a roommate. But you know, it doesn't, it, 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 it's really amazing uh, that 
a lot of our frontline workers, and especially when you think about who's, who's considered an essential worker uh, through COVID and through this economic insecurity, um, it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's the people that are taking care of our children. It's the people who are teaching our children. It's the people who are caring for our elderly. It's the people who are caring for our sick people. It's the people who, uh, you know, our transit workers, making sure that the essential workers uh, can get to their jobs uh, during the health crisis. Um, it's the people that are, you know, working in the grocery stores, making sure that, you know, we all can get the food we need every day. And, and, and that's why in, in the BIPOC communities, uh, you know, they tend to be the majority populations in those types of jobs and you know they have higher exposure rates so when you look at the whole system including the housing system you know we have to start to recognize the importance of all people in an economy and the pride that each person brings to the work that they're doing and the impact and the importance on all of us that it has and um, realign i think our values when we work to rebuild systems that work for everybody um, and and assign uh, pride to developments that um, address low income, moderate income, or mixed incomes, um, and celebrate that in our communities. Well, is there anything else you can say specifically about Prosperity's front door and any specific initiatives you're working on now, or kind of kind of what's on what's on your plate these days? Well, you know, essentially what we're trying to do is again you know expand the understanding uh and especially into the business community um you know uh, it's hard right now because you know with covid uh many of our businesses uh large and small are just trying to keep their doors open and and many of them aren't able to keep their doors open but you know as we think more globally about workforce um and and what workers are going through and how essential they are to our business community you know how can we all come around this how can all sectors play a role uh, this is not just a government uh, role or a nonprofit role uh, there are no single solutions to the challenges we face to ensure that people across the state have the um, safe and accessible sustainable secure housing that they need and so we are calling on all sectors all leaders uh, to you know talk about this uh, within your organizations and um, you know the Itasca project um, which is you know the CEO and, and civic uh, nonprofit leaders who you know organized themselves kind of in the early to mid 2000s to really look at the states and the metro regions opportunities and challenges um, came up with several different things one one being economic competitiveness and therefore Greater MSP was born, which is uh, the metro regions. Actually, it's a 15-county region um, that looks at how do how do we compete globally um, for uh, talent, and and housing is fundamental to that. One of the pillars of the new um, economic framework that was just adopted as a result of work between Greater MSP, the Center for Economic Inclusion, um, led by founding CEO Tawana Black. And then uh, the Met Council um, has as one of its pillars affordability where housing sits. So if we want to compete as a region, um, you know, we're not growing our population, uh, you know, uh, naturally on our own. We have to import talent to this state and to, to the region. And in order to do that, we have to um, be an attractive place that people will want to come from around the globe to work here. And housing affordability and stability is part of that. So 
that's where you know our work has dotted lines to uh, the other groups that are working on that. And I know uh, the Itasca project has had in place um, uh, the uh, housing task force and they'll be releasing their report now very soon uh, this month and I know finance and commerce will get you know one of the first looks at that and I'm, I'm really hopeful because I think they are really coming around the uh, crisis and the challenges we are experiencing as a state and a region to talk about what what should the business leader role what should the what should the employer role be in this and how how they can bring their resources to bear well, great. Well, we'll certainly look for that report coming up. And and uh, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to touch on, or any other um, anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? You know, if people uh, would like to read uh, the task force report again, it's two years old. It was pre-COVID, but it's that baseline. Uh, they can go to frontdoorcampaign.org. Also on our website, uh, Prosperity's Front Door released Minnesota's first ever housing scorecard last February. So it starts to track progress on each of the six goals that we are working to achieve. Um, the first goal, commit to homes as a priority. The second goal, preserve the affordable homes we have. Uh, goal three, build more homes. We have that huge shortage and we're, we're losing ground. Um, increase home stability, surrounding the people that are facing instability and find those services and resources to keep them in their homes. Link homes and services for those people that need greater support. And then support and strengthen home ownership. And again, that's working to reduce the uh, large gap that exists between BIPOC households and white households, which, you know, in February you we were tracking last year was 36%. That gap has widened. So people can look at the scorecard too. And, uh, you know, if, if there are any questions, you know, my contact information is available and I can uh, shoot some resources or ways to engage in the work. Um, and we appreciate the opportunity from Finance and Commerce to uh, keep and continue to uh, raise and elevate the importance of housing as foundational um, to all aspects of individual community and um, our state's prosperity and economic competitiveness. Well, great. And thank you, Judy. Thank you so much for your time and, and good luck with your work. And uh, let's stay in touch on future initiatives. Will do. Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.